Thank you for joining us for the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue our way through the book of James. Morning, guys. So good to see y'all. If you're visiting for the first time or one of your first few times, welcome to the Cross Loganville, where your story really does matter. We've been in a series through the book of James, and we're going to continue to uh, end that today. So if you got your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to pick it up in verse 6. There's quite a few verses in here, but here's what I want you to know. Uh, We're committed to teaching the Word of God and uh, to share uh, God's heart uh, in regards to who He is and His heart for His people. And so I I think you're going to be rocked and challenged and encouraged as we dive into this teaching today. I I really do believe deep down inside uh, that the reason the majority of us... uh, get up and go to church on Sunday and attend fellowship and are a part of a community of other believers is because we want to experience God and we really want to encounter God. I think that's the heart, right? Not just to say I punched the clock and did, uh, you know, 75 minutes on a Sunday and we sang a few songs and saw a few people and, you know, went to eat lunch. I, I think we really deep down inside are like, man, I want to experience God. I need God to kind of give me a breakthrough and to lead me. So that's my prayer for each and every one of us today, okay? So, Father, I do pray that the Holy Spirit would have just total freedom in this room today. I pray that we would eliminate distractions, and I pray that you will speak, Father. I pray that each of us would have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And, uh, Lord, we just ask you, please, Let this be a morning of encounter. Let this be a God-style experience that leads to change, renovation of the heart, transformation of life. I pray that you would do a work. We all come with different, like, limps in here today. Life beats us up. Life's hard. Life's a struggle. And, Father, all of us are battling something. And I, I, I just pray that the peace of Christ would really be experienced in a fresh and new way. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, here's what we read. God gives, which means he extends with generosity. Very generously our God is. God gives a greater grace. God extends grace. Grace, I would say, is this for us believers. Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit that God desires to uh, penetrate and saturate our hearts with. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to denounce and say no to sin and to live a life of faith and gratitude based on uh, the incredible salvation that God has given us. God extends and gives a greater grace. He goes on to say that God is opposed to those who are proudful, to those who are living with a prideful heart. God is opposed to the proud, which means those who think that they can do life on their own and call their own shots and make life work. God is opposed to that, if anything, a person who is living a life of pleasure in hedonism based on what we read last week, They're living a life that is opposed to God and at war with God, okay? Now, let me give you a backdrop, even as you contemplate that, that God gives a greater grace. God is opposed to the proud. God, in the beginning, spoke. God spoke words, and words led to worlds that led to galaxies, God spoke it into existence. God created. He established. He created the stars, and he knows them by name. God created you and I in his image. We are image bearers of God. So when we read that God is opposed to the proud, it's because God is 
God is the author, the perfecter, the finisher of all things. God is omni. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God is opposed to anything that rejects him, refuses him, or tries to replace him because God is. God is a jealous God, and he will share his glory with none other. You get to verse 7, and it says, therefore, therefore, Anytime you see the word therefore, you always ask, what is it therefore? You go back and read what is previous. God gives grace. God is opposed to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself before this God. Allow the posture of your heart to be one of humility. Humble yourself before God and submit to God. We'll break it down. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning. Allow your joy to become gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of God, and he will exalt you. Let me give you four takeaways here just in this part of the passage, and I want you to think about this. I would tell you, that we need Jesus 24-7. I need the Lord 24-7, 365. The word submit to means let God be in control of your life. You've tried to control it and you've jacked it up, you've messed it up. Let God be in control of your life. Even the psalmist would say in Psalm 46-10, be still and know that he is God. Cease striving and know that he is God. The phrase be still or cease striving in the Latin literally means vacate. Take a vacation from being God long enough to let God show you that he's capable of being God. Vacate. Anybody jacked up their lives because they tried to be in control, call the shots, define the narrative? Give the Lord control. I can promise you, 35 plus years of walking with Jesus, this is the starting point. The starting point is giving God control, acknowledging that he is capable of being in control. It's getting to that place where you say, I'm tired of trying to run my life because as I've tried to run my life, I've ruined my life life. I am a bad God. The real conflict, even as James posed that question earlier in chapter 4, what is causing all the quarrels and fights and what's causing all these conflicts inside of you? And I can tell you the real conflict inside of each and every one of us is who will be in charge of my life. That's the biggest conflict any of us face day in and day out, non-believer or believer. Who's going to be in charge of my life? Paul would write to the believers in Colossae in chapter 3, verse 15. He says, let the peace of Jesus rule your heart. Let the peace of Christ, the peace that surpasses all understanding, let it rule. The word rule means let the peace of Jesus umpire and officiate. That, that's, that's where we get that word umpire and officiate from, from the Greek word to rule. He's like, let him call the shots. Let him umpire. Let him officiate your game. And when we have the peace of Jesus in our hearts, we can be at peace with other people. But when we don't have the peace of Jesus and we've got all this conflict going on internally, it's almost impossible ever to be at peace with anyone else because you're not at peace with yourself. And you've got to get to a place where you're at peace with yourself. And when we don't have that peace of Christ ruling and reigning in our lives, we will try to manipulate others and we will try to control others and we will use others and we will do all this other kind of stuff because we want to be in control. And he goes, stop it. Allow the peace of Christ to rule you. Humble yourself before the Lord. The word humble and submit in a simple, just defined way is this. Lord, your will be done, 
my will be gone. That's the prayer. It's not complicated. Lord, your will be done. When I want what God wants, and I really genuinely am sincere and say, Lord, your will be done. That is where the peace process starts. That's where the process starts. I'm asking the peace of Christ to call the shots. I'm asking the Lord to shepherd and take over my life. Humble yourself. Submit. You need God. You're tired of doing it on your own. You're exhausted. You're spent, and it's not working. Humble and submit. The second thing in this text is, do not empower the enemy. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The word resist is a war term. And it literally means be prepared and stand against. It's a war term. I've got to be prepared. I've got to be in the word. I've got to know God's thoughts. I've got to know how God views life. God, what do you say about this? If I'm prepared, I can stand against. The problem is so many people are not prepared, and they can't stand against. How do you sift through all the lies and manipulation and all this junk that we're living in right now? All of the false news and all of the false narratives and all of the the guilt and shame stuff that's going on. I better know the truth so that I can stand against. The devil wants to destroy every relationship that you're involved in, every friendship that you have. The devil wants to destroy every fellowship inside a local body of Christ. Anything that's good and from God, he's coming against it. God has established his will and his ways, and Satan opposes that. He hates God, and he hates God's people. So what's the secret to life, Tim? The secret to life is, ah, you might want to write this down. What's the secret to life? The secret is your life doesn't belong to you. That's the secret to life. Your life is a gift from God. The very breath that you have is a gift from God. You know what the next secret is? You got to get the first one. But the next one is life can be enjoyable once you know that and give God full control. What's the secret? It doesn't belong to you. What's, what's the secret to winning in life? Giving God Full control. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 says, in order that no advantage be taken by Satan, in order that Satan doesn't eat your lunch and take advantage of you, we're not ignorant of his schemes. Paul's writing to the believers. He's talked about putting on the armor and the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in. He goes, we're not ignorant of him. He's sly. He's a liar. He's deceptive. He tries to divide God's people. He's opposed to unity. And that we, we're, not, we're not ignorant of him. And the word today you hear thrown around, oh, they're a part of the woke. I want to be a part of the wake up and wise up group. It's time for the body of believers and the redeemed of the Lord to wake up and wise up. You got an enemy that wants to take you down. He's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. I want to recognize his tactics. If you missed any of our spiritual warfare series, please go back and listen to it. I want to be aware and I want to be alert. I don't want to be ignorant. You, you know what I know for each and every one of us? Satan will come against you, and he's going to do this. He's going to play on your pride. 
But he's going to play more on your wounded pride. When your pride has been wounded, he's going to whisper all kinds of junk in your ear. He's going to try to deceive and mislead, and he's going to tell you what your wounded pride wants to hear. Oh, you, 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 you don't need them in your life. Oh, you'd be better off without them in your space. Oh, that relationship is disposable. Just get rid of that one. Every person I meet, John Mark, is an image bearer of God. Whether they're walking in it or not. And Satan will whisper this junk in our ear when we get our feelings hurt, when our pride has been wounded. Oh, you know you're right. Oh, you know they're wrong. And you have every reason to show your voice. You go on and live out who you are because your pride has been wounded. So you've got to pose the question, how do we resist the devil? The same way Jesus did. He quoted truth. And if you don't know truth, you're going to get your lunch handed to you. But when the tempter was near and he had Jesus' ear, what did Jesus say? It is written. I need to be fed, but not Satan's bread. What Jesus said is, it is written. And we've got to get back to it is written. What does God say? And here's the promise. Here's the promise. Resist him. Be prepared. Stand against, and he will flee from you. Why? Because he's inferior. He's inferior to God. He knows he is. He was created by God, and because of pride, he wrecked it. Greater is he who lives inside of me than he who is in this world. God is greater. Third thing I would tell you in the text is you've got to chase after the heart of God. He says, draw near to God. Press into God. Lean into God. How you do it? Man, I'm diving into the Word every day. I'm spending time in the rhema of God, the sayings of God. I, I got to know truth. I, I memorize. I meditate. I study. I pray. How often can you pray? 24-7, wherever you're at. Pray without ceasing. Talk to the Lord. How else do you grow? How, how can you draw closer? By hanging with other brothers and sisters in small group, whether it's a women's ministry or whether it's our radical mentoring or whatever. Do you know that you grow when you're around other people that are desiring to grow? And, and, and God goes, hey, I, I, want you to, I want you to draw near to me. I want you to lean into me. I want you to press in to me. I want my voice to be the voice that calls the shots. I want to have the superior voice in your life. And you know what I've discovered? Like after all these years of walking with Jesus, I've discovered, this is, this is so simple. I've discovered that the more time I spend with God, the better I get along with other people. And I've also discovered that the more time certain people spend on CNN and Fox, the worse they get along with others. The more time you spend with God and you're pressing in, when you're spending time with God, it's like you turn your affection to Him. God, I'm a, my affection is turned, my attention is turned, I'm... I'm yielded to you, your voice. That's all I, I just want to hang with you. And it's amazing how God starts to tenderize us when we're hanging with him. And you know what the sad thing in our culture is? Even with some people in church, please listen to me. Some people only pray when they're going through chaos or trouble. That is so sad. If my kids only reached out to me when they were in trouble, I would be like, what kind of relationship is this? We share the joys of life, and we, we share the pains of life, and we share celebrations with life, and we share death moments with each other. We sit there, we break bread, we hang. And, and when I'm in communion with a loving, living God that created me, he goes, pray without ceasing. What are you saying? I'm saying you need to call on the Lord daily. And I've had people tell me, well, I'm just too busy. 
really, you're too busy. If you're too busy, it means that you're in control, which means that you're out of control. I'm too busy. In those 10,080 minutes I get in a week, I'm not too busy. If I'm too busy, I've got to look at what's going on, and I've got to eliminate and recalibrate and prioritize what matters. I, I make a challenge to you. If you draw closer to God, the peace of Christ, oh, it will overwhelm you. So, so, so I get up at 6, then get up at 5.30. Just do it for a week. Do it for two weeks. Do it for three weeks. Well, I normally get up at 6. Get up at 5.30. Grab your Bible. Turn off the TV. Eliminate noise. Grab you a journal and a pen. Go through the book of Proverbs. Take a proverb every morning. Today, the 8th, take Proverbs 8. There's 31 of them. And spend time with the Lord. And write down what the Lord is showing you. And see what a difference it makes in your attitude and in your relationships. Hang out with the Lord. Get get freed up with the Lord. Because here's what I believe. And I believe this with all my heart. I believe that the conflict in your life today could be in direct proportion to the amount of time you're spending with God. The chaos and the conflict and the disruptions that we have in life, I'll look and go, it's in direct proportion to how much time I'm hanging with and pressing into and leaning into the Lord. Do I need the Lord? I, I, I need the Lord bad. Can you, can you do it on your own? I've tried and it, it, it doesn't work. The fourth thing he says is receive God's forgiveness. Hey, cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts. Be miserable. Mourn. Humble yourself. That whole passage. Here's what he's saying. Hey, get right. Draw in to the Lord. Lean into the Lord. Cleanse your hands. Wash your hands. Purify your heart. The word cleanse your hands means clean up your actions. What kind of things are you doing right now that you know dirty your hands? It dirties your life. You're allowing your hands to be involved in things right now that you know are corrupt and, and dirty and deceitful. He goes, clean your hands, wash your hands. Then he says, purify your heart. That is the overall attitude that's driving so much about what I do. He goes, clean up your actions and clean up your attitude. And when we do that, it's like cleaning up. you you got to change. Get your heart and hands right, brother. Let's go. And then he says, let there be tears for the wrong you've done in your life. Which means, don't minimize sin. Don't reduce it down. Don't redefine it. He goes, be sorry for your sinfulness and your selfishness and for all the wreckage that you've done. And that morning back in October of 85, I'll never forget, and there's been plenty of these times for me. But early on, right when I surrendered that day, I cried and I wept. Why? I was weeping over my sin. I was weeping over my separation. I was weeping over the fact that I had been pursuing a life of hedonism. I cried out, God, I drink and I just stinking keep drinking and I party and Lord, I've been so unfair to girls and this junk I've done. And God, I'm so sorry that I haven't honored you. And I'm so sorry for my sin. We need to be sorry. There is a godly sorrow that brings about a repentance without regret. And James goes, you ought to be weeping for all the crap that separated you from God. You ought to be weeping that the grace of God didn't let you die. 
You ought to be weeping that God graced you along the way. You don't even deserve to be here. And that's where I was, and that's where I'm at. I'm like, I, I, don't, I can't even believe that God let me stay on this planet. And it's like, God, I'm so sorry. I humble myself. I need you. Got to give up. I'm tired of calling the shots. Humble yourself. He will exalt you. Humble yourself. God will take care of you. Lord, I need you. I need your power. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. And I, I will tell you this. When you really do humble, submit, and draw close, and God starts to do a work in your life, and he's living his life in you and through you, Richard, the Jesus in me, if I'm walking full of the Spirit, and the Jesus in you, if you're walking in the Spirit, the Jesus in me will not debate the Jesus in you because the Jesus in you is legit. And when I'm walking in the Spirit and the other person's walking in the Spirit, there's no ego and pride and argument. There's just like, hey, let's grow together. And you don't have people say, well, I love the Lord. But you fight and argue with everybody. Where's Jesus in you? Checked out of your neighborhood a, a year ago. And you're allowing the enemy to speak into your wounded pride. Now, now, y'all listen. I oppose those with pride, prideful hearts. Those who are proud, I oppose them. And he picks it back up in verse 13. He, listen, he confronts pride again. He goes, uh, hey, y'all pay attention and listen to this. You who say, hey, 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 you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to a certain city. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to carry on business and we're going to make a profit. You who say, pay, pay attention, you who are making plans without asking me. You who are making plans without including me. You who are making plans for some of you who's trying to run from me. Y'all listen to me. It's like we make plans every day. What? Taking a trip. Cool. Where are you going? Well, where? We're, we're, we're going to go to Gatlinburg or we're going to go to Destin or we're, really, when, when, when you doing that or today or tomorrow? Really, how, how long y'all hanging? Dude, we're going we're gonna to spend some time there, a couple weeks. Really, what's the agenda? Well, James says the agenda here is, hey, we're going to do some business, bro. Why? We're going to make some coin. That's what we're going to do. He goes, y'all listen to me. Do you have a life plan scripted but didn't include God? Have you written your diary in advance of how God is supposed to work in your life. You got everything scripted out. He goes, here's the problem. Here, here, here's the problem. So many people make plans without including God. They've got plans. They've got dreams. They've got goals. Well, it's good to have those. It's good only if you include God, if you ask God's permission, if you seek God before you Take that next step. It's okay if, but if you're making plans without including God, planning without God is like practical atheism. Planning without God is like being a practical atheist. There is no God, and even if there was, I, I don't need him. It's practical atheism because we call the own sh our own shots, and we're going to do our own thing. Alexander Saul, he spent years researching the history of the Russian Revolution. I was reading this. He collected hundreds of testimonials and he read hundreds of books and he concluded, if I were asked to formulate the main cause 
of the ruins that swallowed up some 60 million Russians. It would be this. Men have forgotten God. When I look at the devastation and the ruins of what happened under Stalin and everything that happened underneath that communist regime in Russia, if you were to say, what, what was the, the core cause? He would go, men have forgotten God. And then that's the question we've got to ask. Have I forgotten God? Do I know God? Am I seeking God? And, and Am I making plans without seeking God? And we're living in a culture that screams, we have forgotten God, we have ignored God, we have rejected God. That's the culture in which we find ourselves living right now. When you have people, human beings with money and with positions that give them voice, and their agenda is, we're trying to minimize the population of the world. That person has not only forgotten God, that person has tried to become God. The person has forgotten God, and then that person has tried to become God. And that's the world in which we find ourselves living it's one thing to encounter an ungodly person who's had some faith affiliation and church affiliation who gets off path. It's another thing when you encounter godless people. At least an ungodly person acknowledges that there is a God and what they're doing is wrong. A godless person has rejected, refused to submit. And do you know that's the culture in which we find ourselves living? which implies be prepared and stand against that. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Be prepared. Investigate. Know what is happening because the days in which we find ourselves living is evil. So you who say, here's what we're going to do and when we're going to do it, how we're going to do it, let me give you a solution to that. What you ought to say is, here's what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Now, now you who are making plans without God and, and scripting your own thing, let me tell you what you ought to say. If the Lord wills. Let me give you a simple word. Life, L-I-F-E. Life is iffy. If the Lord wills. You don't know what's going to happen today. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen today or tomorrow. Why? Because it's up to God if the Lord wills. You don't know the future, and I don't know the future in regards to what August 10th is going to look like and August 20th and September of 2021. I don't know that. Here, I'm going to give you a clue of the future. Here's all I know. Really, this is all I know. You're going to stand before a holy God one day and give an account for how you've lived your life. That's the future. And you're going to spend eternity somewhere. That's your future. What's going to happen tomorrow? I, I, I don't know. We, we should start every day praying. God, I, I don't have a clue of what you really want to do. I've kind of got a plan. Here's what I'm thinking. And you seem to be okay with it, but Lord, please call the shots and lead me today. Or whatever you want is what I want. Because when it comes to God's will, three of the responses I wrote down is, one, we accept it. God, you're God. You know what's up. Your ways and your will are right. I want it. Or we go, 
I reject it. I'm going to do my own thing my way. Uh, I don't want it. Or we ignore it. We just ignore it. That's where ignorance, the root, ignore. Which means I will accumulate teachers in accordance with my own desires that will tell me what I want to hear. Lord, I'm not totally rejecting it. I need the Lord's will in my life every day. I need God calling the shots. And if I learned anything over the last seven weeks or so, eight weeks, it was this. And, and I promise you, it's helped me with what I learned. One of the things I learned with Barb's injury and Hannah's hospitalization and my dad's death and everything else, that, that I felt like Moses on the backside of the wilderness on certain days, seriously. But Sheila, this helped me. I would go to bed at night or first thing in the morning I would get up. But oftentimes when I would go to bed and go, Lord, where am I supposed to be tomorrow? Lord, where do you want me tomorrow? Am I supposed to be with my mom and daddy? Am I supposed to be with my baby girl at the hospital? Am I supposed to be hanging out with Caleb here because I don't want him getting lost in the shuffle? Am I supposed to go over to the office? Or where am I supposed to be? I don't even know what to do. People go, you're 58 years old. You've been walking with the Lord for 35 plus years, and that was your prayer? Yes. Lord, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know really where you want me. And can I tell you something? That is a great place to be. There was a couple that visited a few weeks back from Colorado, and I met her for the very first time today, but they were visiting, and I felt like the Lord said, you're supposed to reach out to that guy. I'm like, really? I don't have his number. We'll see if you can find it. We found it. Send him a text. Hey, man, you want to grab some time? I'm like, sure, I guess. So we sat down. His wife told me today, she goes, when you told him that you felt like the Lord told you to reach out to him, I said, I did feel like the Lord said. She goes, I know that God told you to reach out to him with just pieces of the conversation that went down. And I'm like, can, can I tell you something? The posture of humility and brokenness before the Lord? Lord, what do you want me to do? We talk about childlike faith. Do you think God cares about what you do? You think God cares about how you do it? Don't you think if you just stop going, God, am I supposed to be a part of this conversation? God, am I supposed to purchase that? Lord, is this where I'm supposed to be spending my time? Where, where, you, where, where you want me? Man, and when you're walking in his will, the peace and the purpose and the meaning and the hope and the joy, listen to what he says. He goes, hey, that's how you ought to do it, if it's the Lord's will. Because you need to refuse to make assumptions starting today. How do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. You're like a mist. You're like a vapor. It's here for a little while, and then bam, it vanishes. Stop boasting about your plans. Oh, hear me. All such boasting is evil. Stop boasting about your plans. He goes, do you know that it's evil to boast about you scripting out life the way it's supposed to go? The unscripted life allows us to live in spontaneous response to the Holy Spirit. You got a plan? I got a plan, but it's in wet cement, and it, it, it's not dry. Write your plans out in pencil and allow the Holy Spirit to write his with pen. What do you know about life, Tim? I know it's unpredictable. How do you know what will happen tomorrow? Don't. One day's paradise. The next day is the pits. Right? You wake up in the morning and you start going through the day and all of a sudden you're going, man, I'm on the mountaintop. By the time the sun goes down at the end of the day, you're like, what happened there? We're in the valley. It's unpredictable. And I would tell you, Chad, we should allow the unknowns to cause us to trust God more. The unknown should not scare us. 
the unknown should invite us to step deeper into our faith with God to say, this is unknown, I don't don't know where it's about to go. God goes, trust me. We should allow those moments that are so unpredictable to drive us to our knees that we again say, I depend on you. I I don't have a clue what this is going to look like. If you don't show up, walk with me. I ain't got a chance. What are you saying? I'm saying all of us, Tim, Nick, Dustin, Steve, Ronnie, Rick, Teresa, you name us, we all need God calling the shots, and we need to have ears that hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Life is unpredictable, and life is brief. Hey, you're like the morning fog. Lord, I don't like that example. It doesn't stay around very long. I left my house at 7 o'clock this morning driving over, and I caught patches of fog. And I'd already been pondering this passage here, and I thought, your life is short. Your dash is short. You're one breath away from stepping into eternity. You go, I I don't want to think about that. I'm still young. Good. One day you're playing with hot wheels, and the next day you're in a wheelchair. I I don't want to think about that. If God keeps us here, we're slowly tiring and decaying. It's truth. Thanks for killing the spirit of enthusiasm in me. I'm about to go to college, and I've got go. But remember, your life is brief. Remember, you're not going to stay here forever. We get a phone call at 3.45, Friday night, Saturday morning. And our sister Mary, who's a part of this fellowship, she called and I heard Barb answer her call. Barb's on the phone going, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry, Mary. I'm so sorry. And she just has this conversation. And Barb gets up, and I hear Barb praying with Mary. And I'm like, well, that's not good. One, the time of the call, that's not a good time to call. Two, based on the tone and reaction, I said, Barb, what's going on? She goes, Tanya died. Tanya was a single lady in our fellowship for a while. And Mary loved that girl. Many of our people loved that girl, but Mary was such a sister and a rock and a support in her life, and bam, gone. 18, 15-year-old son left behind, gone. And I was like, man, life is so brief. I'm going to lay down, get a full night of sleep. How do you know you'll wake up tomorrow morning? How do you know that your night's going to be interrupted with a phone call? How do you know? What's up, Tim? How do you know? I don't know. I don't know. I need you, Lord. And here's what I think one of the problems is, Steve. I think one of the problems in our culture is something I've been paying attention to for a while. I think the problem is for so many people, they look and go, what will be the duration of my life? Meaning, how long will I live? The real question should be, what will be the donation of my life? And everything that we hear is about, well, if you take this vitamin and you take this supplement and you do this and you do that, you can live to be. But see, the reverse argument that we hear right now, don't even go there, right? Because if if you get this stuff, you could get sick. And if you get sick, you could become deathly ill. And if you become deathly ill, you could die. So you need to do what we're telling you to do because you might die. And it's a fear-based narrative that's driving decisions inside of people because they're afraid they might die. Well, Satan, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm under the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and death has been dealt with once and for all. 
So you can't scare me and fear me by using the death card. I'm going to die one day when God's ready for me to die. So don't come over here trying to haunt me with the duration. I'm consumed with my donation. Am I a kingdom player? Am I really being used by God to make a difference for the kingdom? You see, and that's the culture we're living in right now. People are concerned with their duration. And we ought to be consumed with our donation. Am I living sanctified, sold out? Come on, somebody. What am I doing with my breath? Am I prepared? Am I able to stand against? Am I serious? We, we, we've got to be read up. We've got to be prayed up. We, we've got to wake up. We've got to wise up. So what's the solution, Tim? The solution is do what's right now. He closes out James 4 by saying, do you know that the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it sins? Which means you can know the right thing to do and not do it. When you do that, you're sinning. So what's implied is, if you know the right thing to do, then do it. So what's the right thing to do? Humble yourself. Submit. Draw near. Press in. Walk in the grace and the goodness of the gospel. What's the right thing to do? The right thing to do is to make my life count today. It's brief. It's unpredictable. Don't know what's going to happen. Right? It's like, do the right thing today. Today. You, you, just do it today. So, so you're thinking about witnessing to a coworker or a friend. Do it today. Do it today. You've been thinking about inviting a family or some friends to church? Just do it now. You, you, you're thinking about connecting and getting involved in small group, radical mentoring, women's ministry stuff? Do it now. You're thinking about taking that first step of obedience? Man, I've asked Christ to save me, but I've never been baptized. We'll be baptizing in two weeks. Do it now. Don't wait any longer. You've been thinking about giving and tithing and living a life of generosity and trusting God in that area? Do it now. You've been thinking about serving, but you're scared and you've got all these mind monsters and the enemy's been jabbing with you. And he wants you to serve in maybe a recovery ministry or a grief ministry or a place where people are really broke down. Do it now. Because when we postpone, it's disobedience. God goes, just do it. I mean, my buddy Joe and Jen, they moved in right across the street, basically. They're just hanging out, talking. It's been a while. They've been coming now for a year and a half to whatever it's been. I'm like, where, 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 how long y'all been living here now? Two or three months? And where'd y'all come from? And hey, y'all looking for a church? Well, we might. I know this pastor dude, he's not that good, but if you would come. <laughs> and, and Joe and Jen were at the house the other night. We were just hanging in there, just had great conversation. And Joe, because of his work, has been having to work a lot of Sundays in law enforcement. But Joe goes, I was, and Jen said this to me, I thought it was so funny. She goes, he's having to work. He's having a lot of Sundays, Mondays, whatever, he's at work. He was wondering if you ever need to practice on Saturday night. All right, Joe, I'm going to work on my sermon. Let's throw the football while I do it. Come on, man, let's go practice. And I love that. I thought that was outstanding. Well, go ahead and ask him now. Go ahead and do it now. When's the right time to do it? Just now. You got sin, bitterness. Thinking about confessing it and dealing with it. Do it now. Thinking about repenting and surrendering and yielding. Do it now. The longer you postpone it, it's jacked up. Do it now. So, so, so here's my close. 
What plans do you have for the future? Do they include God? Are you like really leaning in and asking God, God, is this okay if I do this? Who's, who's controlling it and calling the shots? So, so, so you're thinking about dating that, that girl? Yes, God, about it. I know Lionel says she's 36, 24, 36, so she's brick-winning hand. But did you ask God permission to date her? Did you ask God? Or is your eyes manipulating you and drawing you there? Oh, are you thinking about getting married? Are you equally, equally yoked? Did, did you ask God? Have you really saw God on this one? Oh, oh, so you've got all this disarray and chaos and you're thinking about separating and getting a divorce. Did you, did you ask God? Don't you think he cares about this kind of stuff? Man, I pray that we would ask God. I pray that we would get up early and just hang out with God and go, would you please lead me today? Because I am capable of really jacking it up. You, you praying about a business change? Did you ask God? You, you've been praying and you're frustrated about where you're at and you're thinking about jumping careers and doing something else. Did, 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 did you ask God? So with all the chaos going on and you're thinking about investing in Bitcoin, did you ask God? I mean, Drew, this is it. It's like we got to ask God. I would encourage you to live today as if it's your last day. And as the theologian Tim McGraw said, why don't you just go ahead and live like you were dying? Because you are. I would live today like, oh, help me redeem this day. If this is the last time I ever get to stand in front of you guys and communicate God's truth, I'm like, do it like it's the last time you'll ever get to do it. Hug that person like it's the last time you'll ever get to hug them. Smile at them. Speak a word of blessing like this is the last time you're, you might get to do that. This stuff is all real to me. You hear me? It's so real for me. Like when I was sitting there that, that week before my dad died and I'm rubbing his feet and I open the Bible and I'm reading Ecclesiastes 12. I'm like, this might get to be the last time I ever get to read the scripture to him. I called my son Jesse yesterday, happy 22nd, I love you, I'm proud of you. I said, you know what I did a couple years ago? And he goes, what? I said, my mom and dad called, I forget where, where I was at, but they left me a voicemail on my birthday, and I saved it because I might want to hear daddy tell me happy birthday this year. Like, I saved it because... For 58 years, he's told me that. Like, just do it now. Bless that person. Encourage that person. Surrender. Let's pray.